Ezekiel chapter 19. We're going to go through chapter 19 and 20. Uh, the title is The Degradation and Rebellion of Israel. Chapter 19 is a short parable. And in it we have two lamentations or expressions of grief. First, we have the uh, lamentations over the princes or leaders of Israel in verses 1 through 9. And second, we have the lamentation over the land of Judah or the southern kingdom of Israel in verses 10 through 14. Again, it's only 14 verses in chapter 19. Ezekiel had made it clear that individual Jews were responsible for their own sins. We saw that last week in chapter 18. But it was also true that their leaders had led them astray because they had rebelled against God and were listening to the false uh, prophets, false teachers. Jeremiah had told the kings of Judah to surrender to King Nebuchadnezzar because he was the one who God chose to chasten Israel, but they refused to obey. Zedekiah, Judah's last king, had agreed to a truth with, a truth with King Nebuchadnezzar, but he broke it. And then he asks Egypt to help. It was this foolish move that made King Nebuchadnezzar send his army to Jerusalem and destroy the city and the temple. And whether you read secular or religious history, you'll soon see, you'll find out that people become like their leaders. The same people who praised Solomon when he built the temple also praised Jeroboam when he set up the golden calves and set up a new religion. One of the hardest jobs of Christian leaders today is to keep our churches true to the Word of God so that people don't follow every religious figure, every religious wind that blows across the land. And again, the leaders whose ideas contradict the Scriptures. You know, it seems that being popular and successful today are more important than being faithful. So in discussing the sins of the leaders... Ezekiel used two familiar images here in chapter 19. He used the lion in verses 1 through 9 and the vine in verses 10 through 14. And he put his message together in the form of a funeral song for the princes or the leaders of Israel. David's esteemed family line had come to an end. But the men who were holding the scepter were nothing like David. Ezekiel wouldn't even call them kings. Instead, he referred to them as princes or leaders. And instead of mourning over their downfall, the funeral song actually ridiculed the rulers of Israel. But later, Ezekiel would announce the coming of Messiah, the son of David, who would be a worthy king. So verses 1 through 14 covers the prophecy mourning Jerusalem's leaders. So let's begin with verses 1 through 9 of chapter 19. And Ezekiel says, Moreover, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What is your mother? A lioness. She, lie down, she lay down among the lions. Among the young lions, she nourished her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion. He learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was trapped in their pit, and they brought him with chains to the land of Egypt. When she saw that she waited, that her hope was lost, she took another one of her cubs and made him a young lion. He roved among the lions, and he became a young lion. 
He learned to catch prey. He devoured them. He knew their desolate places and laid waste their cities. The land with its fullness was desolated by the noise of his roaring. Then the nations set against him from the provinces on every side and spread their net over him. He was trapped in their pit. And they put him in a cage with chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. And they brought him in nets that his voice should no longer be heard on the mountains of Israel. The lioness here represents the nation of Israel, or at least the royal tribe of Judah. The first royal cub was Jehoahaz, who reigned over Judah for only three months. He was also known as as Shalom in Jeremiah chapter 2. Pharaoh Necho took him captive to Egypt, where he died. And the second royal cub was Jehoiachin, who reigned for only three months and ten days. uh, Ezekiel describes him, the second cub, as roving and roaring. In verses 6 through 7, he he was roving and roaring among the princes and the nations. King Nebuchadnezzar took him to Babylon along with uh, 10,000 captives and the temple treasures, and there he died. Jehoiachin paid no attention to Jeremiah's preaching, and Jeremiah didn't have anything good to say about him. So in this short parable, the Lord made it clear that these two kings of Judah thought that they were great leaders. But the thing was, they ignored the word of God, and God cut them down after their short reigns. Verses 10 through 14 now. Your mother was like a vine in your bloodline, planted by the waters, fruitful and full of branches because of many waters. She had strong branches for scepters of rulers. She towered in stature above thick branches and was seen in her height amid amid the dense foliage. But she was plucked up in fury and she was cut down to the ground and the east wind dried her fruit. Her strong branches were broken and withered. The fire consumed them. And now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Fire has come out from a rod of her branches and devoured her fruit so that she has no strong branch a scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation has, and has become a lamentation. So here, Ezekiel says in these verses that Israel is like a vine. This is a familiar image in Scripture and in Ezekiel's prophecy. Many kings who rebelled against God came from the fruitful vine, and they were punished by being transplanted Uh, In Babylon, from waters, according to verse 10, to a wilderness desert, according to verse 13. The last king of Judah, Zedekiah, broke his treaty with Babylon, rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he lost the scepter and the throne. And David's dynasty ended with Zedekiah, who also died in captivity in Babylon. If the nation of Israel would have obeyed the Lord, it would have become and stayed a mighty lion and a fruitful vine that would have brought glory to the Lord. And that's the purpose for all of us, is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Israel would have been a light to the, to the Gentiles, were to be a light to the world. And many would have trusted in the true and living God if Israel had obeyed the Lord. But Israel did not keep the conditions of the covenant, but the Lord does. And we can always depend on the Lord for keeping his word. And that's why he chastened them and he scattered them. God's chosen people have no temple, no priesthood, no sacrifice or king. Jesus Christ 
Israel's Messiah, came as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the true vine, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the rightful heir to David's throne. And his own people rejected him. But one day, they're going to see him and they're going to receive him. And God's gracious covenant with David will be completely fulfilled when Jesus reigns in his kingdom. Now let's go to chapter 20. Chapter 20 covers the details of Judah's rebellions. There are eight parts to this message in chapter 20. First, Ezekiel speaks to the elders in verses 1 through 4. Second, there are lessons from the Exodus in verses 5 through 9. Third, there are lessons from the wilderness days in verses 10 through 14. Fourth, there are lessons from the 40 years of wandering in verses 15 through 22. Fifth, the past rebellions that were committed in the land are in verses 23 through 29. And sixth, the present rebellions and the coming exile are there in verses 30 through 39. And seventh, the purification after the exile in verses 40 through 44. And eighth, the call for the judgment to begin in verses 45 through 49. So let's begin with Ezekiel speaking to the elders in verses 1 through 4. It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. So Ezekiel gave this message, <clears throat> according to verse 1, in August, on August 14, 591 B.C. And he, he gave this message to some of the Jewish elders who came to his house to inquire of the Lord. In other words, they came to ask their, uh, Ezekiel questions of the Lord. But he knew that their hearts weren't right with God. So they had no right to ask the Lord for instruction. You see, it takes a willingness to submit and obey. Okay, of the person who can seek God's guidance and expect to receive it. Ezekiel's response to their request was to go over Israel's history with them and to point out the repeated rebellion of the people as well as the gracious patience, the long-suffering of the Lord. The American editor and writer Norman Cousins wrote in a Saturday Review editorial, April 15, uh, 1978. He said, history is a vast early warning system. But some anonymous thinker said, the one thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Or, in the words of Dr. Lawrence J. Peter, history teaches us the mistakes we're going to make. The Jewish historians... Prophets and psalmists were honest enough to tell the sins of the nation and write them down for future generations to read. Why? So that future generations wouldn't make the same mistakes they did. Paul wrote, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And they were written, notice, for our admonition or warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. But, unfortunately, God's people have not begun to learn those lessons. 
let, obey, let alone obey them. The Bible teaches that God is working out His plan for the nations and that His people, Israel, are at the heart of that plan. Our nations, I mean, sorry, other nations are mentioned in the Bible, but mostly as they relate to Israel. Because Israel is the only nation that God has entered into a covenant relationship with. At Sinai, after Israel left Egypt, God gave them His law. And before they entered the promised land, He confirmed that law with them, and He gave them the terms, the conditions of the covenant that they had to obey in order to possess the land and to enjoy the land. But because they didn't obey the, the, the conditions, the terms of the covenant, that's why Israel suffered like she did and is still suffering as we can see what's going on in the Middle East today. When you read verse 4 here, it sounds like a contradiction of chapter 18. Because it sounds like the Lord is saying that he was judging the Jews because of what their fathers had done in the past. But that wasn't what the Lord was saying to Ezekiel here. He was looking at their history, and by looking at Israel's history, God was judging the current generation here that he's talking to because they were guilty of the same sins of unbelief and rebellion that their ancestors were guilty of. Jeremiah said that his generation of Jews was even worse than their father's. And in this review of the past generations, God proved that he'd been consistent in how he had dealt with the Jews. Those in captivity complained that God did not treat Israel fairly. But their history proved that God wasn't just fair with them, but he was also very patient and very merciful to them. So God wasn't punishing the Jews in Ezekiel's day because of the sins of their fathers that, that they committed centuries before. But God was judging them because Ezekiel's generation had committed the very same sins. And that's why God was going over Israel's history with them. Now in verses 5 through 9, they learn the lessons from the Exodus. Look at verses 5 through 9. And God says, Say to them, thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I raised my hand in an oath to them, to bring them out of the land of Egypt into, the, into a land that I searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to them, Each of you, throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defy yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But... They rebelled against me and would not obey. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. These verses say that God chose the nation of Israel when he called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to Canaan in Genesis 12. But the nation of Israel didn't even exist at that time. God built the nation of Israel while they were in slavery in the land of Egypt. When Jacob's family entered Egypt, there were only 66 people. And then Joseph's family was already in Egypt, and they brought the total to 70. But when the Jews left Egypt at the Exodus, there were over 600,000 fighting men alone. So there may well have been over 2 million people in the nation. 
In Egypt, God revealed himself to the, to the uh, Jews through Moses and Aaron, as well as through the destructive judgments that he brought on the land of Egypt. Remember through the ten plagues that, that he brought on the land. God made it very clear that the gods of the Gentile nations were only myths and that they didn't have any real power to do good or evil. God reminded them how he had judged these false gods in Egypt, again, as Pharaoh you know, you know, saw and as the land of Egypt saw, and God proved that those gods were helpless and useless nothings. But while they were, leaving in, while they were living in Egypt, the Jews started to secretly worship the gods of the Egyptians. You know, it only makes sense if the Egyptians were masters over the Jews at that time. The people thought then, you know, that must mean that the gods of Egypt must be stronger than the God of Israel. Because Egypt's ruling over us. The Jews defile themselves with the God of Egypt. And that grieved God's heart because they were his people. When God opened the way for Israel to, le to leave Egypt, some of the Jews took their Egyptian gods with them. And it says in verse 5 how God had sworn by an oath. He said, I raised my hand in an oath to them saying, I am the Lord your God. Put away those false gods, those useless gods. He says, I am the Lord your God. And he would set them free and he would give them the promised land. The true and living God had set them free. But they carried their false gods with them. So the nation rebelled against God even after God showed them His grace and His power in delivering them. Now this sin happened lo not long after leave leaving Egypt. And it's an example you know, of how quickly they abandoned their faithfulness to Jehovah God and called on Egyptians, Egypt, Egypt's gods instead of the God of Israel to deliver them. Then in verses 10 through 14, they, have, they, see the, they get lessons from the wilderness days. Verses 10 through 14. Therefore, I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So he continues on here in verses 10 through 14 to tell them the story of their exodus from Egypt. Ezekiel now says, I took you out of Egypt, but because they rebelled, he took them into the wilderness. He turns their exodus from Egypt into their wilderness experience as another example of Israel's rebellion. God had freed them from Egypt. God gave them laws and decrees and, ru and rules for living. Two words were used for law, and, you know, and I want to give you the meaning of the two words. Uh, the word statutes, uh, it means laws that were general truths or principles. And the word judgment means rules that came with a penalty if they were broken. And in, then in addition to giving them his law, he also gave them the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day was more than, than just resting once a week. 
It was also considered an everlasting sign of God's presence with the Hebrews and the promise to keep his, his covenant with them. And keeping the Sabbath was a continuous, everlasting acknowledgement of God that he was creator of the universe. And it would be an open denial of God for an Israelite to defile the Sabbath. But the, but the people rebelled against the statutes and the laws, and they defiled the Sabbath anyway, after all, God, after all God had explained to them and showed them. Again, just another example of people who say they believe in and serve Jehovah, but lived their life every day as if God didn't exist. A.W. Tozer, Tozer called this practical atheism. Claiming to be a believer, claiming to serve God, but living every day as if they didn't know him. God gave his people laws. He gave them statutes. He gave them the Sabbath so that they would know him. And the word know in verse 12, it speaks specifically of knowledge by personal experience. And in spite of the Jews not knowing God, Moses asked God, hey, don't abandon or annihilate them. Remember, God wanted to wipe them out at one time. God, he interceded for them. And the reason that Moses asked God, hey, don't wipe them out, don't annihilate them, he said, because it's your namesake involved, Lord. Your name represents the character, your character and your reputation. You said that you would deliver them. And if you wipe them out, it's going to stain your reputation and your name. So God, again, spared Israel for his name's sake. Then in verses 15 through 22, there are lessons from years of wandering. Look at verses now 15 through 22. So I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my, my eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end to them in the wilderness. But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted, notice, for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So in spite of their history of rebellion, you know, God showed them all of these things about their will, about, you know, being raised in Egypt, being taken out of Egypt, going through the wilderness, you know, journeys and, and all of those things and their years of wandering. In spite of telling them about the rebellion and all this part of their history, God gave them the land of promise anyway. But once again, they rebelled and they wouldn't enter in. So God let them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died. Only those who were 20 years old and under were allowed to enter the promised land. Even though God took care of their needs, 
And he exhorted them, hey guys, don't follow idols. The people rebelled again against the law and they defiled the Sabbath. So this reference to rebellion, even after the judgment of the wilderness wandering, was a reminder of the Hebrews' choice. They made the choice to follow Baal worship before entering the land of promise at Jericho. So God withheld judgment again, according to verse 22. It says, and he <clears throat> withdrew his hand and he spared the nation of Israel. Then in verses 23 through 29, we see the past rebellions. Verse 23 through 29. Also, I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of, their spirit, because of their ritual gifts in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire that I might make them desolate and that they might know that I am the Lord. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, in this too, your fathers have blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I had raised my hand in an oath to them, to give them and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees there they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings there they also sent up sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings then i said to them what is this high place to which you go so its name is called bama to this day joshua brought the people into canaan and he led them in in defeating the enemy and claiming the land but before he died, Joshua directed the assigning of the land to the different tribes, and he encouraged them to go claim their land. Moses had commanded the people to wipe out the godless religion of the inhabitants in the land. And he warned them that if you don't obey, your children would become idolaters and you would lose the promised land. And of course, that's exactly what happened. The people lusted after the gods of the land, and they took part in the filthy rituals of heathen worship in the high places. Instead of winning Canaanites, the Canaanites to faith in the, in the true and living God, the Jewish people began to live like their enemies and worship their enemies' gods. They even offered their children as sacrifices to the pagan gods. And that was something that was clearly forbidden in the law of Moses. Because children are a gift from God. And his precious gifts must not and are not to be used as heathen sacrifices. In verses 30 through 39, he speaks of the present rebellions that they were you know, currently you know, involved in. Verses 30 uh, through 39. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers? and committing harlotry according to their abominations. For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defy yourselves with all your idols even to this day. So shall I be inquired of by you? O house of Israel, as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What you have in your mind shall never be when you say we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in other countries, serving wood and stone. He says, as I live, says the Lord God, 
Surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Just as I, I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me, and I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land, the, the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols. And hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name no more with your gifts and, and, and with your idols. So the elders came to Ezekiel. In verse 1, remember, they came to inquire of the Lord. They came to the Lord to, see, to, uh, to get a word from God. And God said because of their idolatry and their child sacrifice and their continuing sins of their fathers, he said he wasn't going to answer them. He wasn't going to give them any, any information. The people who came to Ezekiel were as guilty as their ancestors, a point that Ezekiel explained in detail in chapter 18. So they were to be judged by the wrath of God, and then they would go into exile, according to verse 33. Finally, God promised to gather a remnant out of them from the nations for a new wilderness experience. The Exodus story continued to be an example for the message as Ezekiel spoke of the wilderness days being a time of purification. Referring to those in verse 37, he said, to those who pass under the rod, this was first a reference to the tithe in Leviticus 27, 32. Because every tenth animal that passed under the rod, a rod that would be held over the sheep, that tenth one was separated and declared to be holy. And the purification of the exile also would separate the righteous and the wicked. The rod was also an instrument used for discipline, correction, and punishment. So this was another way of communicating the purpose of the exile, which was to remove, remove and purify those who rebelled against God. The second part of the analogy in verse 37 is the bond of the covenant. The bond of the covenant. The word bond here means to be in obligation to the covenant. And then he said, notice, go serve every one of you his idols. A pretty interesting and remarkable command that God gave the people in verse 39. He says, you know what? Go ahead. Go serve all of your idols. This is like what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, 26, and 28, which refers to those who consistently rejected God. He said that God, it says that God gave them over. He gave them up to a debased mind. You see, at some point, God gives in to those who consistently reject Him. And He allows them to become totally devoted to the destructive power of sin. Israel and Judah had rejected God over and over and over again in favor of false gods. In favor of worshiping Baal and Molech and other idols. So Ezekiel's uh, message was a declaration of the, the, uh, the certainty of judgment that would be the result of, of loving such idols. 
for their love of idols. So God would say, hey, you know what? You love your idols so much, you want them so much, go serve them. Because God's judgment was final. And there was no changing his mind. You guys have reached the, 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 you know, you've crossed over the line with me. Those who consistently reject God and his word, and they choose willful idolatry, hey, they're finally given over by him to depravity. It's a process that, again, is described in more detail in Romans chapter 1, where Paul, you know, speaks on the topic. Then in verses 40 through 44, we see the purification after the exile. Verses 40 through 44. For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me. There I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, which I bring uh, you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings which you were defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake. Not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. So it says here in the future, after the exile purified the nation... The Hebrews would return to their land, to the holy mountain, referring to Jerusalem and the temple. And this future restoration presented by Ezekiel included four things. It included four things. First, Jehovah would be sanctified or show himself holy among his people in such a way that the non-Israelite nations would recognize God's hand upon them, according to verse 41. Secondly, Israel and Judah would again know Jehovah as God when he fulfills this promise and he restores them to the land, according to verse 42. The emphasis in verse 42 is on knowing or experiencing God and as a result, confirmation that Jehovah is the only true God. The third part here, once back in the land, the people would repent, turn to God and express deep sorrow for their sinfulness, according to verse 43. And then fourth, then they would see that God has dealt with them in a way that's consistent with his name and his character in verse 44. So God's motive for judgment in this life is always redemptive. You know, concerning, again, considering verses 40 through 44. He never judges vengefully, out of spite, but always with the desire to bring those who are rebellious to repentance, faith, and a pure life. Why? So that he can bless them. And so that they might be a blessing to others. And then in verses 45 through 49, we see the call for judgment. Verses 45 through 49. Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south. Preach against the south and prophesy against the forest land, the south. And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. 
The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. Kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they say of me, does he not speak parables? So in order for the restoration to start, the judgment had to come first. In other words, sin had to be dealt with. And that's the truth today. Sin has to be dealt with before there can be restoration. And the process of cleansing the land will start, Ezekiel says, with the refining fire of judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. And as a sign of that coming purge, Ezekiel was told to turn to the south and to deliver this short message of judgment. Now, use of the word south and forest land here are references that point to Judah and Jerusalem. In verse 45 and 46, God promised that there would be a fire and it was going to burn all the trees, green trees and dry trees of the south. And Ezekiel described in this parable form the invasion of Judah by the Babylonian armies and the destruction of Jerusalem that was a sure thing because God said it was going to take place. The destruction was going to be so great and so severe that everybody would recognize it. Hey, this was God's doing. It was an act of divine justice by God. This section closes with Ezekiel's complaint. Notice it says in verse 49, Then I said, Ezekiel said, Oh, Lord God, they say of me, does he not speak parables? So Ezekiel's complaint here was, Lord, they say I just talk in riddles. Rather than plain, direct lords, they don't take me seriously. So the message in chapter 21 as we'll see later, was given in clear words where everything important was identified. Judgment of sin is a condition for blessing. You know, we can't expect God to bless us, you know, when we're living in sin or committing sin. God's judgment has to come first. Sin has to be dealt with first. Restoration has to come first before his blessings and the fulfillment of his promises. And this pattern was true for Ezekiel's day. It's also true for, it's, it's also the pattern for the end times in Revelation when God is going to purge the earth. And it's going to all be in preparation for the blessing of the Messiah's rule when he comes in that day. And Father, we, once again, we thank you for your word, Lord. Father, we, we, we see through all the, the lessons and the history and the past of Israel as God brought it out to them, Lord. And Father, as it maybe reminds us of our past and our history, Lord. Father, of all the things that we did, God, it shows us the grace and the mercy of God. Lord, in, in our repentance and in his restoration of, of our lives, God, giving us another chance to live unto him, Lord, to, to bring light to this dark world, God, to, to bring hope to this dark world, God. Father, may we live for why we were saved, Lord, to be light and to bring faith to those that don't know you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your grace, your amazing grace, your patience toward us, God. And Father, for never giving up on us, Lord. Father, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.